0: so we are in the book of revelation as you guys all know uh, we've been covering through this for quite a while now and and in the last few message i've been pointing out that we are we are we are talking about spiritual war this is a war of battle that's that's the reality of where we are now where the world began, it began, there's war since the beginning, and there's still this spiritual war that continue that continues on to the future. And Revelation here describes to us, it, it almost pulls back a veil so we can see behind the scenes that there is this great battle for God's kingdom. A great battle for God's kingdom. And so what we will see here then in our passage tonight is the war of the ages. Last time I, I introduced to you the characters of this war, we talked about a woman who I believe is Israel and we are connected to this woman because we are an offspring of Israel, the church. Then there's the dragon who we will see later as Satan and then there's this child who we understand to be Jesus Christ himself. In our passage then today, we will see then how this war plays out. And really this is part one of the war. It continues on through chapter 13. And we will see here that Satan and his armies of demon are bowing against God and his host of angels. In in actuality, it's it's not really like a true war, like where both sides are equal. This is really more like Satan, like little kid pestering God. Uh, He he's not really winning at all in this war, but there's still war. There's still a battle here. And humanity, human beings, we, us, we're not stuck in the middle of this battle. We're not like innocent beings here. We, every person here. Every single one of us have to decide whether we are on God's side or Satan's side. We are, whether we are for God or against God. But James chapter four verse four says this, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, there's only two sides. All of us fall into one or the other. And that means even today, right now, wherever you may be at of your life, whether you're here, or you say you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, do you understand what that means, do you understand that impact of that statement that you're making in your life today. Do you understand that what this means is you're taking a side in this war? How does that play out in your life. How does that play out in your daily walk. How does that play out when you go to school, when you wake up in your bed, when you turn on the computer? How does this reality of a war, the fact that you are choosing the side, how does that play out in your everyday life? You see, though revelation is about the future, and though we will see this great grand battle that will signify the end, the beginning of the end, the present time right now is really a training ground. Preparing us for this And so this evening I want to present to us the three ways that Satan fights this war. And these three ways will tell us then how we ought to continue to battle on. But here is the good news that we will see from this passage. What Satan is mounting on here is a losing battle. He's losing in this battle. It's it's like if it was like if one of you were challenged LeBron James on one on one or Steph Curry one on one in basketball, you're just, it's it's a losing battle. You're going to lose. You see, victory here is already ours because Christ has disarmed Satan on the cross, and right now we're waiting for His final return when He finally crushes Satan once and for all. But until then, we battle. With full confidence that this victory is already at hand. So let's then take a look at this battle. And the first thing we'll see here, verse seven, oh, sorry, I was gonna do some structure stuff, but let me first say this the first thing we're gonna see here in this passage is we're gonna see uh, an unsuccessful attack. But as we get into this passage, let me just give you a brief outline of where we're at with this, because we're, because sometimes when we read through something like this and we're like, all right, so where does this fit in with our timeline? Just to remind you guys, um, I just grabbed the slide. I didn't have time to like really make any more changes to it. Uh, but we are right now, I believe, in the in the in the last half of the tribulation, so the final three and a half years. And so we already read here the sixth trumpet being blown, the seventh trumpet is blown, and I believe in a telescopic view where the seventh trumpet is blown, in it and it opens up to this to to the to the to the seven bowls, and that then overlaps a little bit with the end of the trumpet judgments. Uh, But right now, it's almost as if the, it's almost as if John is being taken back a little bit and saying, all right, this is what's going on really for this final three and a half years, while the trumpets judgments are happening, while um, the final seal judgments, remember the seal judgments a few chapters ago are happening. Um, And then the the bowl judgment hasn't happened yet because that's, I believe, the final judgment. But right now, where I was kind of taking a step back, can kind of see the whole picture before we zoom in all the way to the end of this final three and a half years. Uh, So that's kind of where we're at in this timeline. Let's now see how Satan attacks. The first thing we'll see is his unsuccessful attack. His unsuccessful attack, let's read verse seven to nine. Here, Revelation chapter 12, verse seven to nine says this. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels this is great battle now, comment some commentators again taking depending on how you view Revelation. If you think Revelation is talking not about the future but really about kind of the present age that we're in now, you'll see this as you'll see this battle as what's happened, what's happening in heaven when Jesus died on the cross. That's what they say. They say that this is a scene that's happening that when Jesus died on the cross, then Satan was being defeated, throwing down to earth. I don't take that view i believe all most of this all of this is talking about the futures so i believe this is happening right now in this tribulation period probably at the midpoint of the tribulation and so this is a future battle and we see here a head-to-head battle between the dragon and michael the archangel now michael uh he he's an archangel that appears throughout scripture he He's usually portrayed in scripture as God's general. He's usually leading an army against forces of evil. And here this war that we see here, this war between Michael, his angels, against the dragon, his his angels, it was no match. The the text really emphasized how Satan is defeated and how he was thrown down to earth. He he lost, he lost and now he was kicked out of, of heaven. Then identity dragon here is given to us in verse nine. And this is important for us to look at. It says here that he is the ancient serpent, which is reminding us, showing us that this is the one since the beginning, just the one who tempted Eve and caused humanity to fall. This is why we live in sin today. It's because of him, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world see, Satan has always been, again, bowing God. He's always sought to overturn God's creation and claim a kingdom for his own. Satan here wants to present the kingdom of darkness and evil. And we see here a blatant attack against heaven. And sometimes Satan's attack against us, the church, is as blatant and clear as this battle thing. And it's a reminder, it's a reminder for us Christians today that we live in a world. We live in a world that's that's not at peace, that's not at peace. We think about the church today, the church today is being persecuted. We, we understand that there are underground churches across the world. We We live here and we're complaining about churches shutting down, going online and we think the government is oppressing us but man there are churches out there they can't even meet publicly at all they know we should know they exist i
1: mean just guess, is how bad it is
0: out there we think about other things of how tr- the church is being attacked we think about video clips of isis assassinating christians publicly on video we think about the underground churches in china north korea and then that's all to say that yes, even where we live in today in America, we do the church to also face attacks. Whether that's from atheists, whether that's from LGBTQ advocates, they attack specifically the church and what we teach about gender and sexuality. And there are other groups who seek to attack the church. We face, opposition that directly attacks our faith. Perhaps you yourself are facing the right opposition for your faith. I don't know where all you guys are at, but perhaps you're in this boat as well. Perhaps you have friends whom you've grown up with and they've shunned you because, you because of your faith and through your faith you spoke out against their sin, or you live a certain way so they feel like they just can't be around you. I know I have certain friends like that growing up where, they just see me as the two righteous guys so it's just too too hard for them to be around for me perhaps you were you're in a classroom and you were shamed by your professor for believing God I don't know how many you guys take religious studies classes and seeing things like that I remember seeing that when I was in college stepping into religious studies class and the professor put a whole panel of students up there and Any of them who defended God, he actually
1: questioned them harder than the other students.
0: Or perhaps you're facing difficulty with your family because you're faith. You have difficult conversations with them and perhaps they challenge you in your faith because that's oftentimes the hardest challenge. They will question your priorities, they will question your love for them. You see every day, every relationship we have, we face opposition. And that's the reality of the Christian faith. That the minute you proclaim Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are pitting yourself against those who do not believe. Jesus himself warned us of this cost. He says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, 36, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth, I have not come to be priest, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And the person's enemies will be those of his own household. I mean, Jesus here is being frank about what he's doing. He's saying, that if you follow me, if you follow me, it's going to bring in a division between
1: you and the world.
0: The context of Matthew chapter 10. Jesus here is sending out his disciples. He's sending out his disciples to the world to evangelize to the world. See, Jesus wants people to be saved to come into his kingdom. So he doesn't necessarily want people to be divided this way. He wants to bring all people together as one family of God. But he knows that as we go out and proclaim this truth, even to our family members, the gospel that we offer is not. Just a gospel of peace, it is indeed a gospel of peace, but peace with God, but it's also a gospel that says you will be at war against the world. See, when we proclaim the gospel we're telling people you're on the wrong side of this, that you need to repent of your sin and you need or else you're going to face the consequence. And you see, Satan hates that Satan will do everything he can to stop such a gospel from being proclaimed. I mean, just before this passage in the same chapter, Matthew chapter 10, this verse 17, Jesus says this, beware of men. So he's talking to the disciples sending them out, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the gentiles see we're going to bear witness to gentiles but we're not going to do so with welcome arms people are just going to welcome us in to share it they're going to drag us in to persecute us and because of that we still bear witness verse 19 says when they deliver you over do not be anxious of how you are to speak or what you are to say for you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. I mean, this is some encouragement. This is awesome, because how many times have we feared what we're going to say, because we are feared the punishment,
1: the consequence of what we will say?
0: And Jesus says here, don't be anxious. I know that in that time when the stress, the anxiety, the anxiety is high, stress is high. You might be afraid you're going to fumble your words, I'm afraid I might say something wrong when I face those situation. Remember that the spirit is with you, verse 20 it says, for it is not you who speak but the spirit of your father speaking through you. But then he gives you the reality of it all. It says brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child, children will rise against their parents and put them to death and you will be hated by all. For my name's sake, but here's the encouragement: but the one who endures to the end will be saved. We bring the gospel to people. We realize what we're bringing to them, what we're to them, is that there is indeed a war going on. That this is not the same. Come together, we'll sing Kumbaya. But this is here. Join this army church and we're going to be at war against satan in this world i'm keeping that in mind as we talk about even the gospel day that we're trying to train ourselves for that we're preparing ourselves for we're inviting friends and we want to invite them we want them on our side we want them to come to accept christ as lord and savior and come to know our awesome god and we do it out of love indeed we do but we also recognize we also recognize that when we offer them peace, that peace cannot be gained without war. Now, conquering the evil of this world requires some kind of battle. That battle was won on the cross and that battle continues forth from there. You see, it's a it's a call that we're going to make when we invite people to hear about the hours. When we when we go when we do the outreach week later this summer, and we're inviting people in, we're talking about the gospel. We're not just offering people a promise of salvation. Yes, it is that there is promise of salvation, but it's also a call to repent of their sins and to reject the world to embrace Christ. It's about them changing sides, and that means. Many will reject this message and some will even hate you for inviting them. That's the reality of it. As Jesus says, take heart, for in the end, God, you will prevail. Coming back to Revelation, see here that we can have confidence that we will prevail in the end because God here sends Satan down, the deceiver of the world, throws him down to the earth. And in verse 10, this is what it says. It says, I, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers have been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Though this passage here is a response to Satan being thrown down, we do see here a glimpse of a 2nd wage Satan fights, and that we see here is the way he accuses us, and it's unsuccessful as well. Well, We see here a victory song, but within this victory song, we see here Satan's aim, his aim every time he... Converses with God every time he goes before God's throne, and God, I guess, allows Satan to come up to his throne to talk to him. But God, every time he has a conversation, Satan, his his aim, his motivation is to accuse us, to accuse us. Well, we see this most clearly in the Book of Job. I mean, if you guys don't know the story of Job, Job is this righteous man, and all of a sudden he just lost everything, I and mean, he's just you know, just doing doing his chores out in the field, and suddenly his servant comes and says, "You lost it all," and it was just the worst day of his life. But in Job chapter one, we get a sneak peek of what's happening here. Job doesn't see this. Job doesn't notice, this, but we get this because it was written down for us. In Job one verse 9 nine eleven it says this. Then Satan answered the Lord said. Does Job fear God for no reason? So Job, so Satan here is questioning Job's righteousness. Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. So Satan here is saying, no wonder Job is righteous. No wonder Job believes in you. It's because you've blessed him with so much. Why would he have anything to complain? So here's what Satan says. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. See, Satan here is accusing Job that his righteousness was just an hour of righteousness. In his heart, he did not truly believe in God. That was Satan's accusation here. And that's what he does for every single one of us. Satan targets faithful believers. He has no reason to target unbelievers. They're they're not with God. Satan's target is always faithful believers. And his goal is to make you feel unworthy and guilty before God. To make you think that you have no relationship with him. To make you think that God is not on your side.
1: How many times have have you sinned and felt too ashamed to go to God in prayer?
0: How many times have you sinned, perhaps you feel too ashamed to go out to your small group because you just can't face them. can't stand the fact that you're going to hide this again or lie to them or just, it's just too
1: hard to talk about it. How many times have you sinned and feel so guilty that you can't even come out to church because you feel like you don't deserve to be in the presence of God?
0: You see Satan is a great deceiver he's one who will accuse us of our sins and what he's what he's doing here is he's taking the truth and he's twisting it he's twisting those truths in order to enslave you in sin and guilt. Because the truth is this that we are indeed sinners, yes, that is true, we are born sinners, and yes, none of us deserve God's mercy that all of us are indeed born under God's judgment. We see how Satan, he'll take that truth, but he'll twist it and he'll whisper it to our hearts, convincing us that we need a work to do better, that we need to earn God's favor again. Satan will do whatever he can to make us feel like we are not with God, that our relationship is so broken. The only way to fix it is that you have to fix it or you have to run away. And what that does is it leads us to fail even more. Why? Because we know that no man can save himself. And so then the guilt amounts and the cycle continues, and you go deeper, deeper down in your guilt. You see, guilt here. It's one of the greatest issues that humanity faces. I mean, just listen to our culture today in terms of how they talk about guilt. That, that we all deal with guilt. Every single human being deals with a level of guilt. Consider a few things that society may tell you. Our culture may tell you that, hey, your problem is not with you. Your guilt is not real. It's it's actually unfair expectations and standards that were set on you. It's just it's just unfairness of this world you're okay or perhaps they'll tell you hey all you need to do is just is just just let it all out and it's okay because you know once you just let it out then things will be cool or maybe you heard this before all you need to do
1: is just forgive yourself
0: see your society they're trying to wrestle with guilt They're trying to say, hey, forgive yourself. They're trying to say, hey, just let it out. It's okay. And I do admit they have good intentions. I'm not questioning their intentions. You have good intentions, but they missed the mark.
1: They missed the mark.
0: See, sin is real. And sin, yes, does deal with your sense of guilt. And guilt here is not just a feeling, but you're standing before God. But the reality of sin is that it's not just about you, it's about the person you offended, which is God. And it's in God alone that we can find true forgiveness and atonement for our guilt. See, Satan here doesn't present the whole story. Yes, we are guilty. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to pay the debt of your sin. And through Christ, that work is now complete, a righteousness achieved. And that righteousness is given to us as a gift. We don't have to work for it. It's given to us as a gift. Romans chapter 3, verse 23-25 tells us exactly this. For all, every single person, all of us have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of not ourselves, not the world standard, but the fallen short of the glory of God. But the whole story is this. And we are also, those who believe are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Meaning God paid our debt, paid our debt to him. God paid it himself by the blood of his son to be received by faith. This is exactly how we defeat Satan's accusations. And tells us here, Revelation chapter 12 verse 11, saints, the saints have conquered the accuser by the blood of the lamb and by the word, their testimony. What a wonderful news that is. And so how do you free yourself from the cycle of guilt and sin? What you do is you die to yourself and you live for Christ. The freedom from sin and guilt is found through saying, my life is no longer my own, but to Christ alone I belong. And so you cling to Christ. You cling to him and you, and when you do that, you will not just experience freedom from your sin and guilt, but you'll also experience victory, victory that was won, blood bought on the cross and you will overcome Satan and his accusations against you. And so we see here, that's exactly what, the, that's exactly what the voice here is crying out, rejoice. Rejoice all of you. But here, when Satan gets cast down, the battle is still not yet over. And we see here in our following verses, the unsuccessful assault. In verse 13, it says this, and when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued a woman who had given birth to the male child, and the wo- but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. We see here Satan thrown down to earth, but that's not the end of the war. To say to here, it says in verse 12 that he knows his time is short. He knows that this is the final part, three and a half years left. He knows the end is coming. And so what does he do? He seeks to make life miserable for God's people who are left on earth. And so he turns his attention to the woman. And as I argued last time in, in my sermon, I believe this woman is Israel. And as God has promised throughout the Old Testament, God will preserve Israel, his holy nation. But no matter how many times israel faced annihilation for their sins god always had a faithful remnant and i believe here this woman represents the remnant of faithful jewish believers and what this reveals to us here is god's faithfulness and it's not just israel under attack it says tells us here in verse 17 that the dragon became fierce with the woman so became fears of israel and then he went off to make war with the rest of her offspring who are these offspring I believe it's a church, those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So, Israel and the church, I see them as two different entities here. What this tells us here is that God's protection over his remnants reveals his faithfulness. It reveals his faithfulness for his people. We will all be protected the woman and her offspring, Israel and the church. We see here how God saves this woman from Satan's grasp. Says here first, I gave her wings of an eagle, flying her to safety in the wilderness. Keep keep in mind this imagery: eagles, wilderness, and then it says God here, open up the earth to swallow this flood. The imagery here all stems from Exodus, the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, God protected Israel from the Egyptian army that was pursuing them, right? God led the Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, passed through the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army was pursuing them. And here's what it says in terms of Israel reflecting back upon the scene. Exodus chapter 15, verse 12, the Psalm of Moses crying out to God saying, you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. Talking about the Egyptian army. Swallowed them. The Egyptian army came upon them like a flood and the earth swallowed them. Exodus 19, verse 4 You yourselves have seen what I, the Lord, did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on wings, on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. And soon after that, Israel was brought out to where? Wilderness. They were protected, they they were nourished there by. God's provision, bread from heaven, manna. The point here, the point here is that God, in a sense, is in a way kind of working the Bible backwards. That's we'll actually see that's kind of what Revelation is doing. Revelation is almost like reading the Bible backwards. You see, the Bible is showing us that is showing us that there is an end to all of this. There is an end to all of this, that there is a plan at work. And God is working to preserve his people. And Satan, and Satan will continue to challenge that. He'll work through human ages to discourage and frustrate God's people because Satan knows his time is short. And so he's working to make all the saints fall. He's working to make you fall. Consider then so many ways that Satan tries to tempt us us to doubt God. How many times have we felt discouraged when it seems like evil evil in this world prospers over the righteous? When evil seems to win. Perhaps during this past few years, we know someone, a believer, who maybe caught COVID and passed away. And How many of us think ourselves man that's unfair this was such a good person why didn't god allow this man to die or perhaps we are thinking about our classmates and we know many of them maybe are dirty cheap and they don't get caught and they get better grades than you or maybe these class these classmates they don't go to church so they have more time to study I'm assuming they study and and they get ahead And we look at these classmates and and we wonder and we see that they're the ones they're the ones with higher grades, they're the ones getting a job, and you're just wondering yourself, is it even worth it to to continue doing this church thing? Or maybe you're wondering about your relationship status. You're looking around, you're wondering, why can't I just date now? Why can't I have that girl or that guy? We are wondering about dating. You're thinking about the Christian principles of dating. You're wondering why do I have to date for marriage? It seems so serious. Can I just date around? And, And it just seems like it's so hard. It's just so hard to follow the Christian faith every day. You see how every single day your life as a Christian is really a battleground for your soul. See, it may feel like sometimes walking the way of the lord walking the righteous way is not a blessing instead it feels difficult and futile and we wonder to ourselves where is the joy in this christian life where's the joy in this christian walk you see satan right now will do everything everything he can to make the godly life look difficult feel difficult seem difficult he will make this world look so enticing so attractive he'll offer everything to you if it means you will walk away from god that's what satan offered jesus in his temptations but let us again remember christ let's remember that following him following jesus means sacrificing everything and jesus knows that he knows that he says it himself that he, he's telling you, follow me, but he's not sugarcoating his message. He's not saying, follow me, you'll have everything you want on this earth. He's saying, follow me, you have eternal life. The reality is, is that this the way though is hard. Think about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He talks about this throughout that sermon, the arguably the greatest sermon ever given. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus says this, enter by the narrow gates. Why? Because the gate that's wide for the gate that's wide and the way the way that's easy that way will lead to destruction, and those who enter by the wide gate are many, but the gate that is narrow, the, that way is hard. That gate leads to life, and those who find it are few. See, Jesus makes it clear that we follow Him. It does. It means that there will be trials in this world. There'll be many trials in this world. And we're we're almost trying to squeeze ourselves through this life. But as long as we hold fast to Christ, obey his word, we will not fall. No matter how many trials hit us, as long as we look to Christ, obey his word, we will remain standing. Same sermon Matthew 7 verse 24, Jesus says, everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and be on the house, but it did not fall because it has been founded on the rock. And so yes, this way is hard, it's a battleground. Jesus reminds us that the way of the world leads to destruction, but the way of the righteous, the narrow way leads to life. But remember the beginning of the sermon, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the poor, in spirit, those who are broken from the difficulties of the world, broken from bowing every day, from making righteous choices, those who are broken, contrite, and humble in spirit, knowing how difficult it is to live and walk in this world, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Spiritual warfare, this battle against Satan, what it does, it turns you, it it reminds you, it it takes your eyes to to look upon God in his word, to look upon Christ and his righteousness, to look away from yourself and say, I believe in him. I believe in his work. I believe that all that Christ has done has been given to me as a gift. And that's the greatest thing I will ever treasure. And you'll realize that all this the gospel, this Christian walk, the cross, everything about it, all this has been won by God, and we didn't even lift a finger. This is the greatest news of all. We see this spiritual war here, and and yes, the spiritual war is all coming to fruition, all coming towards a point that we see here in Revelation chapter 12, but this war, yes, is happening among us right now. And the main purpose of knowing about this future end to this war is to remind us to get ready, to remind us to endure to the end to gird yourself to wash your life how many times have we heard those kind of sermons be prepared, because again I believe this is future times but who's to say this seven year tribulation won't begin tomorrow. who's to say that we will all of us will not be in the midst of all this and that however Satan may be attacking you now it's going to be 10 times worse here if we are ever to reach this period, are you prepared. To stand
1: for the Lord. The
0: revelation reminds us that this world does not get better as time goes on. In fact, we see her more unrest, more violence, more evil. And yet it's all going, it's all going according to God's plan. God is constantly at work, and he will preserve you to the end. Hold on to him, recognize. And we have it all in Christ, And so the big idea is this preserve joyfully preserve joyfully in Christ who vindicates you from Satan's accusations and protects you from Satan's attack. And if you're here tonight and perhaps you have not made a confession as to Christ as Lord and Savior or perhaps you're here tonight you realize you haven't been as serious about your walk with Christ. You haven't been serious about committing your life to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want to invite you to give your life over to Christ today. To, to recognize that the guilt of your sins, that yes, you may feel trapped, but realize that there's a way out. There's a way to atone for your sins. This is not by forgiving yourselves. It's not by just just blaming other things but to truly be free of your sin and guilt is through christ follow him and yes that means you will sacrifice your life yes that means life will get hard because walking righteously in this world is hard yes that means you will feel the pain of separation from your friends and family who do not walk with you in the lord Yes, it means that you will sacrifice time, money, resources, all for God's kingdom. But the point of it all is not the sacrifice, but it's the reward that you'll gain when you make that sacrifice. It's a reward that we were all created to enjoy. It's a reward of knowing Christ and being redeemed and secured by his blood for all eternity. It's a reward of knowing that victory is ours we are indeed blessed to know our God, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word that gives us this amazing truth about who you are, that shows us the reality of this world, that within this world, there is indeed a battle for our souls. And I thank you, God, that you have purchase and won our souls on the cross by your blood. What a wonderful gift. What a wonderful truth. Lord, may we never allow that truth to be tainted or twisted in our minds. May we cling to your word that reveals your truth and may we abide by it. Lord, most of all, may we treasure this truth. Consider it as the joy of our life consider the joy of our hearts to see just how awesome and wonderful you are to see how great Christ is may we see this king on his throne the one who reigns above victorious this king loves us he invites us into his presence lord
1: let us go to you then and continue to pursue you because you are worth everything thank you god for your grace. I pray all this in your name. Amen.